Season 2 of Cyber 24 is presented by our friends at Valcom. Valcom is a Utah-based IT solutions and services provider with drive for getting IT right. From ironclad security to computing and beyond, Valcom's 35-plus years means they have the experience and expertise to help your business from desktop to data center. At Valcom, you get much more than a dedicated IT retailer. They become an extension of your IT team. Whether you're a startup or an enterprise, Valcom has the technical sales and engineering expertise to make your business more effective and more productive. To learn more about Valcom's end-to-end -end solutions, the technology vendors they partner with, and to sign up for upcoming events, visit their website at vlcmtech.com. That's vlcmtech.com. Cyber 24 is supported by the Utah Department of Public Safety, as well as the Utah Department of Technology Services and the Utah Attorney General's Office. In addition, the University of Utah's Kem C. Gardner Policy Institute is where we record this podcast each week. At the Kem C. Gardner Policy Institute, they're dedicated to helping Utah make informed decisions. We're also proud to have the support of Secuvant, a Utah-based company providing business-enabled cyber risk and management. Every week on this program, these great partners will provide expertise and insight to help business and civic leaders better understand the challenge of cybersecurity and how to keep your organization safe. We appreciate your support. All right, welcome to this week's episode of Cyber 24 presented by Valcom. I'm Marty Carpenter. This week's episode is the second of a two-part series. We recorded a panel discussion at a recent cybersecurity event hosted by our friends at Valcom. They were kind enough to ask me to moderate a panel discussion with some experts you've heard on this show before, as well as a couple of new voices. Matt Sorensen is the Secumont CISO, and Dan Schuyler is the Valcom Cybersecurity Systems Architect. You've heard both of those gentlemen on this podcast a couple of times. Trent Bond from Pluralsight, where he serves as the CISO, is also on our panel, as is Kevin Howard, Secuvant Chief Security Architect. We had a really interesting discussion, and in part two, what you're listening to right now, we lead off our discussion by looking at how AI, artificial intelligence, will impact cybersecurity in the coming years. All right, let's shift topics then. Uh, again, sort of peering into a crystal ball. I'm interested in your thoughts on how artificial intelligence will impact cybersecurity over the next five, 10 years. Um, certainly we're seeing more of it. You mentioned some Google Home and Alexa. These, these things are being introduced more to the general public and people are becoming quickly very comfortable with, with AI. But how will it impact cybersecurity going forward? Does it, does it give an advantage to either the good guys or the bad guys, or is it sort of a zero sum in that way? I guess for me, artificial intelligence is not artificial. <laughs> Um, it's going to require a lot of smart people wiring up a lot of in a technology in a lot of smart ways. Um, and if thought, if careful thoughts not put into how we wire that up, we're going to put ourselves in a worse position than we are now um, as it relates to the type of capabilities we have, our visibility into what's at risk, um, into the data itself. Um, and we're going to see proliferation of our data more and more uh, if we're not more careful. And I... And so do I think it will help uh, security? Yeah, I do, because I think with artificial intelligence from a consumer standpoint, we can probably help the consumer be a little bit smarter about decisions they're making. Um, but I think as a practice, as a practitioner, um, 
I think there's a whole lot of thought that needs a lot of intelligence that needs to go into AI. One of the things we should do is clarify what is artificial intelligence because I think the industry right now has the terminology wrong. What most vendors are selling today as AI is really machine learning. And it's unsupervised machine learning, not even supervised in many cases. And so there's a lot of fluff in the industry that is confusing the market on what AI really even is. Um, artificial intelligence, according to DARPA, uh, if any of you were paying attention to DEF CON a couple years ago, they had something called the Cyber Grand Challenge. Um, they put together a group of teams from all over the world to compete in creating an artificial intelligence intrusion detection system and attack system. What ended up happening is they dumped millions of dollars to the top seven teams to develop um, artificial intelligence to find ODAs, patch those ODAs on their own system, and then write exploits to attack other systems with those ODAs, all in real time with no human interaction. The amount of data required to do that is massive. And I don't think we have enough data in the industry today to start doing and, and leveraging these AI algorithms. So the neural nets that are required, we're just not ready for. Now with quantum computing and everything coming out, yeah, that's, that's going to come really fast. So I think what the industry needs to focus on right now is this concept of machine learning. Um, you're seeing all of the new security vendors talking about machine learning or user behavior analytics, and those are extremely valuable. What's happening is, is that's taking the response time for your analysts and your IT staff uh, you know, down to minutes. So what we find, we're looking at a number of technologies that are using true supervised machine learning, where it's not, hey, we have an algorithm. If you log into Outlook from Salt Lake normally, and all of a sudden we're seeing logins from China, that is a user behavior analytic alert that is based on some machine learning that says, hey, over time we're going to trend where you're coming from, and this is outside of that metric. Those are extremely very valuable machine learning algorithms. And so we're seeing that our analysts can now just respond to a lot of these uh, UEBA or machine learning algorithms, and the triage time gets reduced significantly. So for the next few years, I'm hoping to see more advancements in machine learning algorithms. Uh, right now we have a problem in the industry for use case alarms. Um, every vendor says that they can alert you on X number of things. What does that really mean? Well, everyone is asking um, for more. So the good thing about the industry is everyone's stepping up and being more aware of, of the problem, but we're also asking for things that many of the vendors can't do today. And so I, I hear questions every day, well, why can't you do this? This just makes sense. Well, from our human perspective, it does. But for the signature-based alarms that we've written for the past 10 years, it doesn't make sense. So we have to redefine what those algorithms look like and put, that, put the data back through it. And so supervised machine learning is where an, an alarm is triggered and the user, the human in, uh, inter interaction of this is saying, yes, this was valuable, do more of this. Or this wasn't valuable, do less of this. And now we're tuning those algorithms over time. I think over the next five years, that's going to become critical to just staying in front of the number of alerts that we see today. Everyone in this room is getting alerts from some system, whether it's a monitoring tool, your firewall that's saying threat detected every five minutes, but you're not able to even consume or digest those most of the time. We need to start leveraging machine learning to do that for us. I think we're going to lose the ability. This is good and bad. We're going to lose the ability to have control over the security for our company. Everything's going to be pushed back into the service providers. And the, the fact that we buy all these products and install them in our companies today is equivalent to buying a $100,000 water filtration system and putting it under my sink at my house or in my basement and running it and, and hiring people to come into my house and tune it and make sure it's working. Why not push that to the utility? So here's an example. 
AWS with Lambda, a serverless architecture. What am I going to monitor? Okay, and, and if I'm a SaaS consumer, I don't care. Give me clean water. So as a company, if all I consume are these SaaS solutions and, and CenturyLink or Level 3, they're going to scrub my data, make it clean. I don't need a firewall. So I, I see that long term. I really do. Yeah, and then you kind of, you know, uh, kind of piggyback, piggyback off Kevin for a minute too. Like, like we're talking about machine learning now. I think the next iteration, the next generation, that's going to be user learning, right? And, um, and, and when we can't see the Lambda events or we can't see what's happening, we can look at behavioral types of things as it relates to our consumers uh, that then can provide us with, you know, anomalous information or whatever and hopefully detect a compromise in the future. That'll be in the hands of experts in the telcos, in the ISPs, in the SaaS providers, the infrastructure providers for the SaaS companies, I think. Some of, it, some of it could be, you know, consumable by you, right, as a, as a consumer as well. And I think there will be some demand for that uh, to be able to collect those events yourself and cross-correlate across all the other telcos and SaaS providers that you have. So it'll be an interesting time. While we're on the topic, I think it's a, a good time to reiterate we're trying to throw technology at the problem because we don't trust our users. But your users will always be the first line of defense. And if they are trained and they're smart, I know that is kind of an oxymoron. If they're educated users, this will be a lot less of a headache for all of you. So while we want to throw machine learning algorithms and AI at the problem, at the end of the day, we need to make sure that we're continuously training our users as to what's normal behavior, what's abnormal behavior, and stop clicking on the links. Except when it's time for annual enrollment, click that link. Except when you need to decrypt an email from your vendor who's using secure email, click that link. You see my point? Yeah. yeah. I, would, I would just end this by saying, yeah, Kevin, I echo what you said about users and, and training your users because they are your first line of defense and your last line of defense because you're, something's going to get through the technology. Technology is not 100% perfect. And if you train your users to be aware of what to look for, um, you've greatly reduced your risk. All right, we'll take a quick break and come back with more from our panel discussion. In the next segment, we talk about the impact of the Internet of Things on cybersecurity. Stick around. A data breach can have a devastating impact on a company's brand, reputation, profitability, and the downtime and loss of business continuity can be costly. Additionally, a breach can potentially cause a company to incur significant fines and penalties. At Valcom, ensuring the data security of your organization is their goal. Your organization, and in fact, every organization, has unique cybersecurity needs. And the reality is a one-size-fits-all cybersecurity solution simply does not work. At Valcom, they take a holistic approach to cybersecurity, keeping your organization's goals and objectives in mind. Their cybersecurity services include industry-leading expertise to design, implement, and support cybersecurity solutions that meet your unique needs. Learn more at vlcmtech.com cybersecurity and request a free cybersecurity assessment today. That's vlcmtech.com cybersecurity. $300 million. That's how much money the cyber breach at FedEx cost the company, all because they were not insured for cyber breach losses. So if you're a business owner of any size, you have to ask yourself, could my business survive a hit like that? I'm guessing the answer is no. 
The fact is, over half a million small to medium-sized businesses will close their doors as a result of a cyber event. So what should you do to protect your business? Talk to the cyber liability professionals at Hayes Companies. At Hayes Companies, policy placement is only one step in an overall risk management approach to manage your firm's cyber liability exposure. They design a program specifically for you, customized to your business priorities. For more information, contact Dave Whitwer, 801-580-5501. That's 801-580-5501. Or visit HayesCompanies.com. That's H-A-Y-S Companies.com. Secuvant is a leading network security company specializing in creative, customized solutions that meet the needs of small and medium-sized businesses. They offer a wide range of services, everything from managed security and virtual CISO consulting to cyber risk advisory and data breach recovery assistance. No matter what your specific security requirements are or what your comfort level is with IT in general, Secuvant will map your cybersecurity program to the business areas that are relevant to you. Everything from brand and reputation to legal liability to intellectual property to business disruption and so much more. For more information, call 1-855-SECUVANT or visit secuvant.com. That's S-E-C-U-V-A-N-T.com. All right, let's shift topics a little bit to, uh, I'd love to get your take on how the internet of things will continue to evolve and how that will impact uh, you know, a business's ability to keep data safe. I think there are a number of businesses, any number of businesses that, that maybe are getting a good grip on certain fundamental aspects of cybersecurity, but they maybe haven't evolved to thinking about what about the thermostat we just put in the office and how does that potentially become a vulnerability or what kind of data is stored on the printer that nobody can get to work and everyone just dreams of taking out in a field and beating with a baseball bat. But what kind, of, what kind of vulnerabilities come from the Internet of Things? How will that evolve generally um, from a security perspective over the next several years? Yeah, we are seeing a proliferation of consumer IoT devices. You, you named a couple of them, the, you know, the ring doorbells, the thermostats, the, the webcams, and consumers are buying these plugging them in, not registering the devices, and setting them and forgetting them, sometimes not even changing the default password. Um, they sit there and they age, they collect dust, and, and within six months, they're three or four firmware uh, versions behind, and we've, we've seen this used as an attack vector by hackers because there's millions of them out there. And you know, when you don't register the device, when you don't have any um, uh, acumen with regards to security, you just set that device, you don't think twice about it, and you don't realize that it's, it's a potential uh, security threat for your own home, similar for some businesses as well. We're starting to see technologies around um, IoT devices with certifications and, and uh, you know, automatic security updates, but that doesn't address the multitude of IoT devices that are already out there that are outdated, um, have security holes and patches because they've never been updated. So it's definitely uh, a big issue. Yeah, we, I was going to tell a story. So, uh, yeah, we, uh, we, we had uh, one of our employees about a year and a half ago, and I I first started at Pluralsight, and they had bought an Echo device and set it out on the desk. And of course, it was all configured with all the things. Like, I mean, you could you could purchase from Amazon Prime, right? And so we would walk in, and 
of course, it was after hours when we were doing our security sweeps and that. And so we would start using the Echo device to just purchase things. So we, we started buying Andy's mints, like a bunch of Andy's mints. And so we did this for about, I don't know, about two weeks straight. And finally, the front desk was like, why the hell are we getting so many Andy's mints? And then they got the bill. And it was pretty high, uh, so we had to stop. But um, but this kind of thing happens all the time. And you heard of the kid that bought all this stuff? Yeah, she she just told the Amazon Alexa, "Order me a Barbie. I want that Barbie car." And and all this stuff came on the to the curbside for. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, and it, and it, you know, these kinds of things, you know, if, if, and we don't know what kind of vulnerabilities exist in a lot of these devices and whether or not that might be used as listening devices or recording devices and, you know, are there PII implications with those sorts of things, right? Like there's just, there's, there's a lot to be still sorted out with that. And I think that might be a place where we might see more regulation uh, in the coming years. So we've we've seen this show before, right? Windows 95 administrator default credentials. They were the same for years, right? And then there were Wi-Fi Wi-Fi routers that you buy at Best Buy, admin admin. Yeah. You know, finally those vendors use cyclical passwords, so you have a unique password when you buy one now. It's not a default. And now we have IoT, same thing, same pattern. What will change is consumer backlash and advocacy groups and so forth. What I worry about are the things that can kill you. Medical devices, self-driving cars, um, the guy on, remember the guy that hacked the Wi-Fi on the airplane? And he found that we, he hacked the entertainment system on the plane and he got on, it's just a LAN on the plane and there was the radar controls on that subnet and there was the communications on that subnet and he had free reign to all of it. And then as soon as he landed, the FBI picked him up. You know, it, and I worry, you know, Elon Musk has said, look, we're going to lose a few lives as we get through this self-driving car business. How many, how many people died in the early age of the automobile? You have to expect that. How many that. still die? <laughs> We've right? had cars for a long time. And so when someone dies behind a wheel of a Tesla that's in self-driving mode, don't freak out. That's his message. It's a kind of a calculated cost of, of, of innovation and progress. But it, something about that doesn't feel right to me. Um, I don't, I'm not, I can't quite put my finger on it, but um, self-driving cars. Now, the FDA with medical devices, you don't want someone hacking your pacemaker or your, your, your insulin pump. And, and they have pretty strict regulations on level three medical devices that go in the body. So you got to pass a pretty strict cybersecurity regimen to get those approved. And that's a start. It's a good, you know, too little, too small in the bigger picture. I love IoT from an attacker perspective. Um, pivot points, pivot points, pivot points. Uh, all, all of these IoT devices are running mini Linux versions of, or stripped down Linux versions. So as an attacker, if I can get in and, and pivot through the toaster or the, the TV or the fridge, whatever, then I'm going to go after that for many reasons. One, you put them on the same network as everything else. Two, you don't lock them down. And three, you don't monitor them. No one really monitors IoT. Oh, I'm going to put an IoT segmented network over here, and we're going to monitor everything in and out of that network. You're, going to, you're not monitoring the, the phone home to China for your, your uh, cheap IP cams, right? I mean, things like that. And, and we see it all the time. Uh, how many people actually track the assets? You know, how many Chromecasts do you have in your organization? I can't count ours, you know. And do we put them on the same Wi-Fi as everything else? Segment that stuff, patch it. Because if you're not tracking the assets, are you ever going to update your Chromecast? Who's going to be responsible for updating that? Um, so... When you look at things like that, plus SCADA, you know, 
the, the, the power plants or the, the, the gas and oil wells that have to have these devices so you don't have to send a, a, a person to each facility, it's great. So again, convenience, compromising security. So we, we funnel all that data back, but then you create this massive backbone of your IoT infrastructure You know, for, for large um, water treatment facilities. We've seen it where you can go to you know, Shodan to search for open ports on the internet and find water treatment facilities and log into the IoT device or the SCADA device and uh, shut down the water plant. So, oh, the, the most recent one, and we see this all over the valley, semi-trucks, construction trucks, have built-in Wi-Fi. Why? To control the panels. And they're broadcasting, some of them in default mode, because I have the packet captures to prove it. As you're driving down the road, the, the driver telemetry is awesome because you can now track via, via Bluetooth or Wi-Fi at wherever they're going. The GPS also tracking, uh, you can hop into that. So if you're going to leave a crane you know, turned on while construction crews are there and all of a sudden the Wi-Fi is open, someone can hop in it and control that crane, that's a big problem. So we don't even know what the exposure is in some of these things. All we're hearing is there was a feature request that someone gets this button added to this panel, so we put it in. But we didn't put any controls around it, we didn't test it, and we don't know what the exposure is. So this is going to get interesting. And how do you find out about it? Well, someone writes a worm, self-propagates, and pretty soon you have a three billion IoT botnet that takes out a small government. Oh, we traced it back to these IoT devices. Here's some new regulations now. So that's the, the pattern. Okay, that wraps up our two-part discussion with our panel of cybersecurity experts. Again, I want to thank Valcom for asking me to lead the discussion. And I want to thank our panelists, Matt Sorensen of Secuvant, Kevin Howard of Secuvant, Trent Bond of Pluralsight, and Dan Schuyler of Valcom. We're back next week with another episode of Cyber24 presented by Valcom. All right, as we wrap up today's show, we want to thank our presenting partners at Valcom. You can find them online at vlcmtech.com. We also want to thank our supporting partners, the University of Utah's Kempsey Gardner Policy Institute. That's where we recorded this show and where we do it each week. Our friends at Secuvant, not to mention our great partners at the Utah Department of Technology Services, the Utah Department of Public Safety, and the Utah Attorney General's Office. A reminder, you can find us online at cyber24.us or on Twitter at cyber24 underscore or on Facebook, just search cyber24. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining us. I'm Marty Carpenter.